Hey friends, welcome to my podcast, Straight Talk with Salim. I believe the word of God is truly the lamp unto our feet and a guiding light for our path. And a majority of the church neglects this guiding light because it's too difficult to comprehend. Well, God has given me a hunger to study the Bible and a passion to share it with you. My friends, if we don't understand the word, how can we apply it to our lives and actually live in obedience to Jesus? So join me now as we walk through God's word and learn the essentials of living a Christ-centered life. Welcome, guys. Welcome to Straight Talk with Celine. I'm back. You all are back. And this is going to be exciting. Because we're going to walk through today the introduction to Revelation. And this is this new series that I felt in my heart to share because um, Revelation is a tough book. It really is. And it's a book that I didn't have any idea what I was getting into. You know, I was really scared of it. I didn't know how to approach it. Didn't know how to understand it. It was, you know, if anything, it left me anxious and nervous and worried about the future and what's to come for Christ followers. And as I've been walking through it, I've realized that it should be the opposite. You know, we should be, as Christ followers, we should be walking victorious. We should be walking with confidence, we should be walking with boldness. And it's, it's, it's going to be a ride and, and we're looking at 15 weeks. And so this week being the week that's like, hey, let's just grab a pen, let's grab some paper and let's take some notes of things that we need to understand as we're getting started. And then the next 14 weeks will just be, we will just pick apart this, this, this book and we're gonna do it together. And so it's going to be exciting. So we'll just jump right in um, because I know that time is of the essence. We live in a, a busy society where we've all got things to do. And I'm sure some of you guys may have already been to church today. So get extra credit, I think. But revelation in one sentence to me is God rules history and will bring it to its consummation in Christ. And so we must read this letter uh, with this in mind. We don't need to understand every single detail uh, to profit spiritually. I mean, this, this is the most beautiful uh, letter in the New Testament. And unfortunately, we don't study. Uh, we don't preach it. We, we don't read it. And it's absolutely one of the most practical letters in the entire New Testament, in the entire Bible. So when you... When you survey Christians, this is what I, I looked into. When you survey Christians, this is the number one book they want to hear preached. And when you survey pastors, this is the number one book they don't want to preach on. I mean, this further proves that this book has been marginalized. So, so we, don't, we don't read it. But I want you to notice that there are blessings for those who read it. And we'll jump in and we'll, we'll talk about these blessings. And so I want to point out, this is a letter that is written to all Christians of the post-apostolic age. This is us. It was written in approximately 95 AD from the island of Patmos. John had been exiled uh, to this island for, for, for preaching the gospel. So John was, was at the end of his life. I mean, I'm assuming he was probably in his late 80s, early 90s or something. He was an old guy. 
This was about 60 years after Jesus had ascended to heaven. So you think about 33 AD, you know, Jesus ascends to heaven. This is 95 AD. So this is about 60 years later. So John's been through a lot. I want to point out Jesus is the, is the person that's revealed in this book. From the outset, we are given the most important truth about the book of Revelation. And this book shows us the Antichrist. It shows us God's judgment. It shows us uh, the calamity on earth that, that is coming and has come and will continue to come. And it shows us uh, Mystery Babylon in vivid detail. But most of all, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ to us. And if we catch everything else but miss Jesus in this book, we miss the book of Revelation. So keep that in mind. Let's understand that God gave this revelation that it might be shown, not hidden. So the fact that it's not preached, the fact that you know we're afraid of this is like it's unbelievable to think that God would give us this. And so it's filled, it's filled with signs. The book of Revelation is accessible to those uh, who understand the first 65 books of the Bible. So understand there's 66 books in the Bible. It's important that we, we have a grasp on this, the other 65 books to really be able to truly digest the book of Revelation. The book of Re Revelation is rooted in the Old Testament. It, it contains more than 500 allusions to the Old Testament. And 278 of the 404 verses in Revelation, that's almost 70%, make some reference to the Old Testament. So I think it's important that we, we understand that a lot of what the prophets wrote about in the Old Testament is very, it's very significant in the book of Revelation. So, you know, I would say, again, most people fear this letter. And I know this because I once feared it. And why do people fear this letter? We should not fear this letter. This is the word of God and we should be encouraged by this letter, encouraged by this book. Because that was one of the main reasons it was written to encourage the body, to encourage believers. This letter, it's been marginalized throughout the ages. And it was Martin Luther who dismissed this, this letter saying it was unedifying to the ordinary believer. Guys, that is not true. That is not true. And Martin Luther is awesome, but this was wrong. He, should, he, should, he shouldn't have said this. this, this, this that is, that's just not true. So what is revelation? Well, it is three things according to the first five verses of the Bible, of, of Revelation. And I'm going to read the first five verses just so we can walk through this. So Revelation 1, 1 through 5, it says, This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent his angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is the report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to all these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. So let's keep those first five verses in mind as we, as we, we, we describe what this, what this letter is. 
So first of all, we know it's a letter, okay? John is writing to the seven churches of Asia. Just like all the other letters in the New Testament, it's written to a specific people living in a specific time in a specific place. So Revelation cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. So, so hear what I just said. Revelation cannot mean to us what it did not mean for them. What John wrote to the church in that time frame, he is also, it, it means the same thing for us. This was not written for us. I'm sorry, this was written for us, just not to us. So, so I know that's a little confusing. It was written for us, just not to us. It was written in 96 AD after there had been 30 years of intense persecution. I went back and I looked into this, this persecution that this church was facing. It was unbelievable. So that first couple of, first 20 years uh, since from the time Jesus ascended to about 60 AD, the church was, you know, experiencing persecution, but nowhere near what was to come. So all was good. The church was expanding from Christ's ascension to about 65 AD when, when 65 AD when Nero launched that first wave of major persecution, governmental persecution, not just some basic persecution. Christians were imprisoned. They were burned alive. They were fed to animals. Guys, we don't know persecution. So 70 AD comes and it was the darkest year in Christian history. Jerusalem was burned to the ground. Paul and, and Peter and Timothy were all publicly executed. So that's like, imagine this. Imagine if, if governmental leaders pulled John Piper, Tim Keller, and, and, and Matt Chandler out in the street and shot them in the head in front of everyone. Imagine if you turned on the news and that's what you saw. Understand that, that, that to come against Caesar what was the death penalty. He, he was Lord. And when, and Christians, and when Christians wouldn't bow and came against, you know, Caesar, this, this equaled death. And as I mentioned, we, we just don't know persecution in America. We don't know how to act when we're told to wear masks. I mean, we're, we're pansies. I mean, think about how easy it is to just go with culture. Well, think about how it was for them and how much pressure they, they, they felt. I mean, you had the roads to Rome, the wealth of Rome, the sensuality and the sexuality of Rome. Christians had to deny all of that and face real problems to stand for Jesus. This had to be overwhelming. So for 30 years, they had been brutalized as, 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 as they read this letter. So imagine how they, imagine how they received this. But guys, they didn't know anything different. I mean, to follow Jesus to them was to remain poor forever, to be locked out of the economic system, to be hounded and marginalized, to be misrepresented, to be lied, to be beaten and ultimately killed. This is who Revelation was written to. Also, it's a prophecy. Prophecy always, it doesn't always mean this is something to happen in the future, but more about what the Lord is speaking to his people. Yes, prophecy does at times point to the future, but we must focus here on what the Lord is saying to us. We must understand that we in the West look at this book as linear, like going in a straight line. I mean, this builds on this and this builds on this and this builds on this. It's, it's like in, we read it like in chronological order and Revelation is not. It's not written in chronological order. There is a series of windows and we get to peer into those windows. The question we need to ask ourselves is not what happens next, but what does John see next? So remember that as we walk through this letter. 
It's not what happens next, but what does John see next? So as we study this on our own, pay close attention. And when John says, I turned and saw, or I heard, those are windows opening up and we are to look into those windows. Remember, it was written for us, but not to us. Look at the example of Revelation 12, 1 through 4. And look at the imagery of this. My friends, this is, this is the Christmas story, but, but wildly different. The woman, the baby, and the dragon. What, what, what is that? I mean, this is, the, this is, as I mentioned, the Christmas story. This gives us a picture of how Revelation is, is not linear. It's a series, of, a series of windows. Revelation 12 is a window looking into the birth of Jesus, which would have been 90 years prior to this book being written. So we have chapters 1 through 3, which are written in the moment. And in 96 AD, but somehow by chapter 12, we go back 90 years. This is what is wild about Revelation, and we must consider this as we read it. Remember, it's not what happens next, but what does John see next that becomes very important, very significant. Third, it is an apocalypse. So remember, Revelation 1.1 states clear as day that this is a revelation. Revelation in the Greek is apocalypse or apocalypsis. And it simply means unveiling or disclosure. So the point of this prophetic letter is to unveil to the churches of Asia and to us that things are not what they seem, or at least are more than they seem. Apocalyptic literature tries to do a certain thing that is very strange for us. We are not image-heavy people in regards to how we learn. We are, we are fact-heavy in regards to how we learn. Which is why the book of Revelation wigs most people out. This is why you're wigged out. This is why I've been wigged out by Revelation. The symbology, it, it just freaks me out, right? Freaks you out. We'd rather watch a cheesy movie about the Bible instead of actually digging into the Word and finding out the real story for ourselves. But see, in, in apocalyptic literature, people are often represented in the likeness of animals. Historical events are often depicted as natural events as, as such as earthquakes and floods. Colors and numbers have meanings. This means revelation like Ezekiel and Daniel and parts of Isaiah and Zechariah and Joel are full of imagery that's meant not only to inform our minds, but to ignite our spirits as our minds are informed. So what's the point? What stirs up your heart to be more in the game spiritually? What is going to get you into the game and get you off of the sidelines? Which picture would, would get you more fired up? The, the Christmas story in the Gospels? O silent night, O holy night? Or the picture from Revelation 12? And side note, some will say Revelation 12 is not the Christmas story, but what I say is this. The woman represents Israel or Mary and both, or both, and the baby represents Jesus. So let me say that again. The woman represents Israel or Mary or both, and the baby represents Jesus. The dragon is Satan who tries to devour the baby. Remember King Herod? Remember his plan to rid the earth of Jesus when he was born? Yes, I believe there is much more to this chapter, but the point is clear. The picture of the story from Revelation, it causes me to rise up. You see how this provokes the spirit to rise up. I mean, this is what imagery does. And see, we just want the facts. And, and, and facts are good. But the stories, but both stories and facts are good. The, the imagery is important. And we got to understand 
The imagery that we see in Revelation is, is absolutely vital and it's very significant. It shows us what's going on behind the spiritual curtain. It shows us that it shows us that the war is waging. The war is waging on and it will always be waging on until Jesus returns. And this is why we need this book. Apocalyptic literature wants us to do two things. It seeks to anchor us in the present by giving us a picture of unseen realities of the future. For example, we are in present reality because this is where God has placed us on the timeline. When we were born, where, where we were born to, where, where we live, all of that. But where we are is what we were born into and what apocalyptic literature wants us to do is say, while you are where you are, when you are, this is what God is doing. He's helping us to understand point blank that there is a spiritual war raging on and most don't see it. There is a lack of understanding of this in our church today. I mean, how many of you guys look at this life and think, man, this is, this is, there's a spiritual war going on. No, a lot of us are half dead asleep and have no idea. So now we talked about the blessings of this book. Blessed is he who reads and keeps those which are written, keeps those things which are written in it. The book of Revelation offers a particular and unique blessing to those who read and keep the message of this book. So hear me loud and clear. Those who read this book and do what it says, there is a particular blessing for you. So I want to point out the, the seven Beatitudes of Revelation. Revelation 1.3, blessed are those who read and listen. Revelation 14, 13, blessed are those who die in the Lord. They will rest from their hard work and their good deeds will follow them. Revelation 16, 15, blessed are those who keep watch for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will, will not walk naked. Revelation 19, 9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation 26, blessed are those, blessed and holy are those who share uh, the first resurrection. For them, there is no second death. Revelation 22, 7, blessed are those for they will enter the kingdom, but outside will be what? Well, let me tell you what's going to be outside. Those who are not receiving the blessing. Uh, outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. Guys, that's who's going to be outside of the kingdom. So you have those who sens uh, sensationalize this letter. Uh, they, they make this a puzzle book instead of a picture book. So we go looking for the pieces of the puzzle, and this leads us away from the main purpose of this book. So why is Revelation so difficult? Well, it's like I mentioned, the type of literature. It's apocalyptic. And why do we not like this type of literature? Because we don't like the Old Testament, which has so much of this. And as I mentioned, of the 404 verses in Revelation, those verses divulge over 500 allusions in the Old Testament. John alludes to many books in the Old Testament. Most of the references in this letter, more than half are from the Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Guys, we just can't do character studies in the Old Testament. We must study the prophets because if we do not, we will miss much of what Revelation is pointing to. We won't be able to unlock this letter to understand. I mean, John is essentially giving us a commentary uh, of, the, of Old Testament prophecy here. So Daniel contains uh, most of, of uh, in proportion to its length. So the book of Daniel is, is very important. 
And most of the references we see in Revelation come from Daniel 7. So we must read Daniel to help, help us understand this letter. In terms of references, Isaiah ranks number one. This is an important book. Isaiah is another book that you've got to, to, to read. You've got to cross-reference. So we have this aversion to the Old Testament, and we don't understand why we can't comprehend this letter. Friends, we must cross-reference the Old Testament to grasp Revelation. Yes, we must do our homework. This is not the time to be lazy. So if you are lazy in your time in the Word, don't expect to understand this book. This is going to take a little bit of next level of homework and time and effort. So there are a lot of symbols and colors and numbers in this book. Symbols and colors and numbers make it difficult for us. I mean, we have these gold lampstands. We, you know, we have where Jesus's sash was gold. His hair and his robe were white. His eyes were like fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. So we see gold, we see white, we see fire, we see bronze. What do these things mean? We see animals in this letter, dragons and beasts and horses and bears. Oh my. No, we don't see bears, but we do see dragons, beasts, and horses. And what do these things mean? What are these lampstands? They represent churches, but why lampstands? I mean, these questions are all, all important, and these are questions that we will answer in the coming weeks. They're all significant. And John doesn't tell us what these things mean in this letter. The most times he doesn't, our answer is in the Old Testament. Nothing in this letter has, hasn't been said before. Get that, guys. Everything that you read in Revelation has already been said in the Old Testament or somewhere in the New Testament. It's already been said. This is why it's important for us to study the Scripture. Not just read it one time through, I read it in one year and it was great, and then you put it back on the shelf and it collects dust. You can't do that. You read this book until the day you die. Because there is fresh revelation every time you open this book. This is what, what's beautiful. This is when the Word says it's, it's alive and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what it means. That's what God's saying. Guys, open my Word. I'm going to give you something new every single time you open it. You read John tomorrow. Read it the next day and the next day and read it next week and next year. And I guarantee you every single time your notes are going to look different because the Lord is going to show you something fresh. Again, numbers, they make this letter difficult. And we see a lot of numbers in this that are repeated. The number seven appears in verses four, two times, 11, 12, 16, 20, six times in this chapter one alone. But in this entire letter, letter seven is mentioned many times. There are seven churches, seven spirits, seven golden lampstands, seven stars, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven crowns, seven heads, seven plagues, seven bowls, seven hills, seven kings, 7,000 killed because of the earthquake, seven beatitudes. Seven is a number of what? Completeness. And we can argue that it is the second most important number in this letter. The idea of completeness is important. This is about complete judgment. This is about complete victory. This is about complete glory. This is about complete praise. There's another important number in this letter, the number three. This number three is a reference to what? The triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. And we see it used to identify the counterfeit triune God. Who is that? Revelation 13, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. 
Friends, the devil is is a counterfeit version of Jesus in, in the Father, the Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is a counterfeit version of God. He is always trying to one up and be be like God. He can't be like God. That's why he's six six six. He's completely incomplete. Another number that is important in this is the number four. It represents the earth or God's creation, the four corners of the earth, the four winds, the four angels, the four living creatures. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. This represents the election of God's people on earth. Every tribe, language, people, nation. Four. Look at down verse 13. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. Four. Look at chapter 6, verse 8. Sword and famine and disease and wild animals. Four. Look at chapter 8, verse 3. Thunder and rumblings and lightning and earthquakes. How many? Four. Look at chapter 16, verse 18, the same exact set. Look at chapter uh, 9, verse 21, murder and witchcraft and sexual immorality and theft. Look at chapter 10, verse 11, peoples and nations and languages and kings. Look at verse 18, verse 22, harps and singers and flutes and trumpets. Guys, you get the picture. There is a design here, a beautiful design. And who is the designer? The designer of all designers. Do you not see how beautiful this God is? He's unbelievable. How can we not be fired up? And it's all intentional. Dude, this is next level. Another number that is important in this book is the number 12. Another number of completeness. The complete people of God, the 12 apostles, the 24 elders, which is 12 and 12. The stars above the woman's head in chapter 12. The new Jerusalem has foundations on which has the same name of the apostles. The 12 apostles, the tree of life at the end of this letter, which is restoration of the tree from the garden of Eden has 12 kinds of fruit. The 12 tribes of Israel, the number 144,000. What is meant by this number? Is this literal? Absolutely not. No way, no how. What is it? It's 12 times 12 times 1,000. Guys, we in this day and age have become jaded by numbers because we are used to hearing large numbers and trillions. But back in this day, 1,000 was extreme. So this is just symbolic for a lot. We must take ourselves back to 96 AD to understand what John was writing. This number 144,000 is the completeness of the people of God. And we will get more into this when we study the multitudes in chapter seven. So I want to point out the views of this book. First, we have the preterist view. I mean, and I'm going to make this short. This essentially means everything John wrote has already taken place. It is done. Second, we have the futurist view. This essentially means everything will happen in the future. So from chapter four forward has not happened yet. That's what futurists believe. Third, we have the historist view. This person would ask, where do you see us now? What chapter are we living in today? This essentially means this letter is a presentation of history from John's day until the second coming of, the, of, of, of Christ and beyond. The dispensationalist says that church will be raptured out before the tribulation. Fourth, we have the idealist view. This essentially says the book is written to all Christians of all times. What is written in this letter has been happening and is written to encourage us through life on this earth. It is a symbolic representation of the continual struggle of good and evil. It does not refer to any particular historical events. It is applicable at any point in history. And my friends, I'm going to let you know I'm taking the historical, uh, the uh, idealist view and approach to this book. We must look at symbols first instead of looking at the literal interpretation. Why? Be because in Revelation 1.1, John tells us that he is being symbolic. The only way we can approach Revelation literally is to approach it symbolically because it literally tells us in verse one that it is symbolic. So if we want to take something literal, 
take what John said literal and the fact that he told us that this letter should be interpreted symbolically. So I want to speak very briefly on dispensationalism. It is a belief in a system of historical progression as revealed in the Bible, consisting of a series of stages in God's self-revelation and plan of salvation. This is the most popular belief among Christians because this is what is taught in most seminary. And of course, this would influence most people. My approach to Revelation is going to be different from this approach, and this may cause some stir, but I truly believe that my approach to this book is consistent uh, with most of, of history of the history of this book, and it's the safest approach. I mean, dispensationalism is a recent invention, only a couple hundred years old. This wasn't always the way until early 1800s. Needless to say, no one is held captive to any one interpretation to this book. We all may not agree on how we view and interpret this book, but there is much more here to learn and apply to our lives and we must see those things. So hear me right. You may not agree with what I'm saying. It's okay. We're gonna to touch on the, the, the most significant and important parts that, that we're gonna to touch on in this, uh, in, in this series is, is not gonna be what view is right and what view is wrong. It's gonna be more than that. And it's going to be biblical and it's gonna be edification and, and encouragement and challenge. And a wake-up call. And we all need that. Many of our views and interpretations are secondary issues and do not matter in the grand scheme of eternity and salvation. Hear me when I say that. There are primary issues that we have when it comes to the gospel. And there are secondary and there are third, there's so many other issues outside of the primary. The main thing is the main thing. You and I both believe, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe in the gospel. We believe that Christ came and he died and he rose and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he is coming back. Whether you're a futurist or a preterist or a historicist or you're an idealist, it doesn't matter. We will all be in heaven celebrating and dancing with Jesus. Me being an idealist and you being a preterist is not going to separate us from the kingdom. So keep that in mind. So again, we're going to agree at times to disagree. And it's okay. And when we do this, we can read this book and we can be edified and encouraged and revitalized instead of fearful and anxious. Again, this letter is not a puzzle book to figure out what is going to happen. This is a picture book to show us what is in the here and now and how we are going to endure it. God did not leave us this book for one particular generation, but for all generations until he comes back. It is for all the church through all the time from the moment it was written until the end of age. So in the book of Revelation, we see what I call, or what is a definition, recapitulation. So it's like the same story being told again and again from different vantage points. What we see over and over is God's people under fire and Jesus coming to deal with evil, to vindicate his name and to establish his kingdom once and for all. So as we approach this letter, we have to focus on the right thing. We have to focus on God. He is the center of the story. We, we can't just grab details and start focusing on those details. Remember, this is a picture book, not a puzzle book. So let me outline what's going to happen in this book. The chapters. Chapters 1 through 3, we get an introduction and we get the letters to the seven churches. We must understand that there are more than seven churches in Asia Minor, but the letters are only to seven specific churches. Where is Galatia? What about Colossae? What about Thessalonica? What about Corinth? Why don't we get letters to them? Because of the number seven. That number is important and symbolic. Also, these seven churches are in the form of a circle. The recipients of these letters were real churches at that time. The number seven probably meant to take these letters as coming from the Savior to every church of every age. 
They are letters from the senior pastor of the church, who is Jesus. These are the first three chapters, and they're like all the other, pretty much all the other epistles in the, or letters in the New Testament from Paul, from John, from Peter, from whoever, okay? So they're all written very similar. Chapters four through five, as we get to chapter four, we turn the corner and the letter drastically changes. We are in heaven and things look way different. We see the throne of God and the scroll that only the lion lamb can open. This affirms the sovereignty of Christ, which is the theme of this book. Chapter six, seven, here we get the seven seals, the judgment, consequences of opening the book by the lion lamb. Each seal represents issues and circumstances common to every church age. This is important. No details of particular wars or rulers are intended. It is symbolic, it is timeless. Chapters eight through 11, here we unfold the sounding of the trumpets, the last of which announces the kingdom of God. And the last judgment, the opening of the temple of God, these parallel the judgments announced in the seven seals. Chapters 12 through 14, very different. The scene changes completely. This section does not flow out of the previous sections. You do not see an obvious continuity between chapter 11 and 12. John is telling the story again from an entirely different vantage point. Trumpets, bowls, go look at those. Tell me they're not the same. John's telling the story from a different vantage point, guys. You see the child, Christ, pursued by the dragon, the devil, the narrative, the great antithesis between God and the city of this world. The devil enlists the help of two beasts. In this conflict, the elect are saved. The city of Babylon falls. God's enemies are overcome. Then we move to chapters 15 and 16. Seven angels now appear with seven bowls containing judgment, plagues, and the last great earthquake. And Babylon is destroyed. But wait, Babylon had already been destroyed, right? In chapter 14. Yes, but now we are hearing the same story again. Guys, you see the pattern? <laughs> Go check the seven bowls run parallel to the seven trumpets. Chapter 17 through 19, the destruct destruction of Babylon, the beast and the false prophet. Then we move to 20 through 22, God's dealings with the dragon and the final judgment in the lake of burning sulfur. The final city of God, the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem in which eternal fellowship with God is enjoyed. So what do we take from this book? Well, it's only fitting that we, we take seven things. That number seven, complete, right? The glory of the triune God. This book or letter is first and foremost about the glory of the triune God. Everything else pales in comparison. The glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, the glory of the Holy Spirit. Those who don't agree or believe in the Godhead, this letter makes it more clear than any other book in the Bible. This is the cardinal doctrine. God completely glorifies himself in the form of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this letter, time out, time in, and time again. It is so obvious. Next, the, revel the, the, the relevance and the reliability of the whole Bible. It is a travesty that we stay away from the book of Revelation. We all can agree that we have been scared of this book, but we must not be because it is imperative that we read it and know it. And I believe we must read it with the idealist approach. There's no other way to see it. Next, the sovereignty of God. If you get nothing else from this book, you must see that God is sovereign. How does God give us a book about the way the world ends as we know it? How does this, be, how does he, how does this happen? Because he's the sovereign God of the universe. He knows and controls all of it. Next, the reality of suffering. One of the reasons people don't like this book is because of the pictures of death and blood and violence. Guys, it's real stuff. Streets filled with blood, sin is real. Suffering is real. Martyrdom is real. The war is real. Satan is real. His hate is real. And guys, we are not getting raptured out of here. 
So stop with that nonsense. What on earth makes you think that God is going to protect us from this type of suffering? Where in the Bible or in the history of the church did you see them not suffering? Think about this. Look at the church that John wrote this letter to. How can we think we are going to escape suffering when this church suffered more than any church in history? Friends, if we are getting raptured, wouldn't you say God forgot about John and the boys? What about our brothers and sisters in China? I mean, can we really say to them with a straight face, guys, don't worry. Before it gets really bad, he's going to rapture us out. For real? No, no, my friends, suffering is real and it's real for the people of God. In America, we live in the lap of luxury and comfort and we have no idea what suffering is. That is the problem. And the reality is people of God suffer more than most people for one reason, because we are the people of God. Suffering is a part of being a biblical Christian. Next, the inevitability and severity of God's judgment. My favorite picture of Jesus is in Revelation 11 and Revelation 19. You can have the sissified Jesus with the hair like a shampoo model, hands like he never worked as a carpenter, features that look almost like a girl, a European girl who has never seen a Jew in her life. Meek and wimpy with a baby lamb across his shoulders. Guys, you can have that Jesus because that's not Jesus. Revelation 11 and 19 gives us a picture of the real Jesus. He will punish the wicked. And that includes you unless you repent. Next, certainty of Christ's return. He will return no matter what people say or what people think. And we must believe and hold on to that. And last, the consummation of redemptive history. I love how Revelation 22, we go back to Genesis chapter 2. In, the, in Genesis 3, we have the fall. In verse 15, we have a promise. God promises the redemptive plan, but first there is a warning shot sent out. The war starts in Revelation. We see that war. We see the seed of the woman in Revelation chapter 12, and we see the head of the enemy crushed. It's a consummation of history, and we see God redeem all of creation and his people. Perfection will eventually be established back to what it was. So how can we not read this book, guys? We need this book and we must take it serious. We are missing out big time, which leads me, uh, it leads to this passion that I have to share and walk through this series with you guys. And I don't know everything. I'm just sharing what the Lord has placed on my heart. And I may be wrong in some areas, but I, I come to you and own that. I'm not claiming to know everything. I'm just taking a shot in the dark and, and, and going to trust the Lord. So some things to ponder as we close this up, some things to ponder as we prepare for this journey, guys. Revelation is a book of consummation and comfort. Stop using the imagery from Revelation to predict the future. For example, uh, the locusts are not Apache helicopters. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. People have lost their minds and they think that someone is going to inject this vaccine in them and use it to track them. When we all have smartphones, guys, they're already tracking us through our smartphones and no one is saying a word about that. But yet you're worried about a vaccine that they're going to inject in you and now they're going to track you through that. Come on, guys. Stop being so gullible and naive. Stop. Guys, ask yourself the question. Are you a, a threat to the kingdom of hell? And what does that even mean? 
When you wake up in the morning, is the enemy like, oh crap, he's up, she's up? Are you facing friction in your walk with Jesus? Are you being attacked? Are you being persecuted? Are you being isolated for your faith? Is there things happening at work, at school, you know, wherever you are? Are you being ostracized for your faith? Guys, we got to be a threat to the kingdom of hell. Guys, are you awake to the things of God? Are we spiritually alive? Friends, we, we as a culture, a Christian culture, are so thin and we lack a wartime mentality. Jesus is important, but he, he is attached to our, our stuff, if we want to be honest. When in all actuality, Jesus is everything. He is life and everything else is secondary to him. And Revelation is going to help you understand that. And guys, you got to ask yourself, do you want to fight? I'm looking for people to jump in this fight with me, man. Who wants to go to war? Revelation is going to set it up for us to step into it. And we get through this series, you will see what kind of war we are in. And here's the truth. We are getting our tails handed to us in the world. And it's because the enemy is constantly trying to destroy us, deceive us, distract us, cost us hope and joy in Jesus. And if you have no idea this is happening, how easy is it for him? Right now, he's having a field day. And if we don't understand the spiritual war we are in, we will not be able to win. Part of the strategy of winning the war is to know we are in the war. That is absolutely vital. And John is trying to let us know what is happening right now. Yes, he wrote this in 96 AD, but what was happening then is, was happening yesterday, is happening today, and is going to be happening tomorrow. John is trying to set our present reality in the unseen realities of the present. Jesus is giving us a picture, guys. He's helping us to understand. One thing I want to remind you, God is not shaken by what is happening in this world right now. Everything going on in the world right now, you, you think God is on the throne? The throne that we read about in chapter 4 and he's, he's questioning himself? Oh, you know, I don't know what's going on down there. Like, oh. No, no. He wrote the story. He's the director. He's the main actor. He's the producer. Dude, he's the marketer. He's the whole thing. He is all in all. He is everything. He knows what's going on. Guys, you think our sisters and brothers in China, in, in Africa, in, in the Middle East, Pakistan, the ones that are really struggling, you think they're looking around right now at, at the world, at the coronavirus and the vaccine and all this, so you think they're shaking? No, man, they're not. They're, they're pleading for Jesus to return because they're, they're living desperate. No, they, 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 guys, they believe in this book and they're convinced and willing to suffer and die for it. They're willing to suffer and die for Jesus. Guys, this should wake us up. We are so stuck in our world and we fail to see the global plan of God. And Revelation is trying to show us what is going on. He is trying to show us his global plan. A plan, sorry. Guys, last thing I'm going to say is, is we must be obedient to Jesus, period. And this is what's majorly lacking today. Guys, obedience is better than revelation. Do we live the word? You want a word from the Lord? Do you really want to hear from him? Do what he says. Know his word and go do it. We must repent of our sins and join Jesus on this mission. When will we step into obedience? 
Guys, Jesus is not an add-on. He is life, period. Love him and make him known. Make him known when we love our spouse, when we love our kids, when we go to work, when we serve, when we're at the ball field, when we're at church, when we're you know out in the community, everywhere we go, make him known. Make him known in the way you live. You want to grow in the spirit? Obey him. You want all these things? You want to walk in the power of the spirit? But you don't want to obey Jesus? And you expect to walk in the spirit? No. As a Christian, we must make a renewed commitment to Jesus. Guys, are you a bored Christian? Are you bored? Well, if you're bored, you're probably a disobedient Christian. That's probably why. So as we move forward week to week, guys, we're going to unlock some pretty powerful information that is going to change the way that you view this life. And I pray that it opens your eyes to what God wants you to see. So as I close, I want you all to know that everything I say, I say because I love you with the love of Jesus. And guys, I want to pray for us for the coming week. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. I thank you for these friends that are willing to come alongside. I pray for the future listeners that will hear this message. Lord, I pray now that they will run to the book of Revelation and begin to just read it. Lord, I pray that you would give us all the answers that we're looking for, Lord. I pray that you would give us what we need. Lord, there is a war going on. The enemy is up to no good. He is up to, there is a very, very evil plan that's been going, that is going, that will be going, and it's only going to intensify. We see it in the world. As I pray right now, Lord, anyone listening to this, they see the writing on the wall. I see the writing on the wall. I see what's going on in government. I see what's going on in culture. I see what's going on behind the pandemic. We all see it. And we know there's something more evil going on than, 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 than we can actually see with our eyes, Lord. It's something, there's something deeper and something bigger. Things are going to radically change. And the real are going to be separated from the fake. And that's, that's the warning shot to, this, to, to my family and friends today that are hearing this. Who can stand? Who can stand in the midst of the trials, of the tribulation, of the persecution? Who's going to stand when, when somebody tells us it's Jesus or death? Who's going to stand? So Lord, I pray you would give us, um, that you would pour your spirit out on us, that you would give us um, just uh, eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, that you would give us a desire. Right now, I pray for nothing else but a desire in all of our hearts, a hunger for your word, Lord, that we would wake up just wanting to dig into your word and, 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 and just just devour the bread of life. Lord, make us hungry. Lord, feed us, feed us what we need. Jesus, I love you. We love you. We praise you. And it is in your holy name that we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. My friends, thank you for joining. Until next time, you guys have a good day. My friends, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Straight Talk with Salim. Remember that I love you with the love of Christ and I implore you to just passionately pursue Jesus with everything you have.